to another episode of Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, and today we're going to be going to what it is or what it takes to develop as a Taekwondo athlete, uh, the struggles of learning martial arts, and especially in uh, Taekwondo, and then also what it takes to manage your own dojo. Today's guest is Samari, or Samari Moras. She's a fourth degree black belt in Taekwondo and six-time U.S. Collegiate National Champion. On her YouTube channel, she shares her adventures traveling the world as part of Team USA, competing leading seminars and sharing her valuable tips and tricks to help her, I'm sorry, help people better themselves, both physically and mentally. Known for her high kicks and crazy nunchuck skills, she is revolutionizing the martial arts world by bringing into the new era and inspiring women to break stereotypes and, oh, sorry, break stereotypes worldwide. Samari, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. So talk to us. How did it, how'd you get to where you're at now? Taekwondo, the YouTube, the dojo. Give oh, it to yeah. us all. So, yeah, that's actually kind of a big question. Honestly, it's like a weird sequence of events that just all end up working, you know, like one thing leads to another. Um, I started getting into Taekwondo because my family had a martial arts studio when I was growing up. I was actually born in Peru, and that's where they had the martial arts studio. So I kind of grew up in it. And I mean, literally, I learned how to walk while I was wearing a helmet. So that's <laughs> how involved I was. And, you know, I... Most of my childhood, I did the classes and everything. I never really wanted to get into it. My older sisters, I have two older sisters that are both black belts, and they were super into it. One of my older sisters was on the Peruvian national team for Taekwondo and karate. And for me, I mean, I thought Taekwondo was cool. I thought sparring was cool, but it just didn't seem to fit my personality. I was a bit more shy, more reserved, and I was really just like scared and fearful. So going out and like doing a sparring match wasn't really my thing. It seemed way too scary and people kicked you, it hurt. It just, it wasn't me. (laughs) So, you know, it's just kind of funny how now it's what I do 24 seven. You know, I, I do martial arts. I have a studio. I own two schools actually. And then, you know, I trained in it. I competed for years and my YouTube channels are all about martial arts. It's funny how we went from point A when I, you know, I didn't really want anything to do with it to now. It's kind of a weird, weird turn of events. (laughs) went from this shy, very skittish uh, little girl to this uh, YouTube sensation that's in front of a camera, talking all the time, doing podcasts, owning two businesses, uh, teaching Taekwondo, like the the total opposite. Yeah, total opposite. (laughs) And I owe that all to what martial arts taught me. So, yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, like I mentioned uh, earlier before we started the podcast, my fiance is a huge, huge fan of yours. Uh, So... Yeah, we just started uh, Hapkido. Well, she does Taekwondo. I do Hapkido, but in the same dojo, in the same studio. Uh, we started about, it's going to be almost a year now in September. Um, and same, she had the same thing. Uh, so I obviously, I've always been a big martial arts guy. I'm very, a big fan. Uh, just had, wasn't, I wasn't able to go into it because I played baseball, played baseball all the way through college. Oh, Once okay. college was done, uh, had some free time in my hands, you can say. So that was like kind of my time to kind of start i started once i couldn't stick with it um and then finally this last september uh 2018 uh, i was able to find a really good studio a really good instructor and master uh in hapkido and he happened to do taekwondo too and i told anna my fiance i said uh hey i'm gonna start this i think you should do it with me 
I was like, you know, just come in for the first class. Uh, so she came in for the first class. She's like, heck no, I don't want to do that. I got to do, I got to get belts. I got to break boards. I'm going to, and in the first day she did Hapkido, which is a lot of rolling. Uh, she was like, oh my God, I'm going to break my neck. I'm like, listen, don't be a drama queen. I was like, okay, don't do Hapkido, do Taekwondo the next time. So we had a free week. So we go back and do Taekwondo. And she's like, okay, you know, it's, and I was like, look, don't quit. Give me a month, do it for a month. Um, and then after that month, if you don't like it, I won't bother you again. By the next week, uh, Samory, she, she's like, oh my God, I love it. I really like this. This is so awesome. I was like, uh-huh, you were scared last week. What happened? She's like, oh, you know, I like it. You know, it's so uh, fun and, you know, it's challenging, but I kind of got over my fear. Thank you, whatever, whatever. Uh, and it's been a year, so. That's so and then, cool to hear. And yeah. I, love that, yeah, I love that you guys started off, like, you know, in your adult years because so many people don't because they think that they're too old. But, like, honestly, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter, like, when you start. So I think that's really cool. And I'm glad that she loves it now. <laughs> she she does. And, and then, well, when I started when I started to notice she really liked it, she started watching YouTube. I'm like, oh, she likes it. She likes it that much. I'm like, I don't want to push her too much. I like it. Like, I'm a big fan. I've always been a big, a big fan of martial arts. Um, and then I started, she started seeing YouTube channels. And then she's on her iPad, and she shows me this YouTube channel. Um, and it's you showing, I think it's a high sidekick or something. It's something with you. And I forgot what the other the other guy's name was. Uh, and she's like, oh. And I was like, oh, wow, that's those are really good cues. That's really awesome. Um, and then, sure enough, I was, and I started thinking about it. You know what? Let me. Let me see if she wants to come on the podcast. I would love to uh, pick her brain about Taekwondo and martial arts in general uh, and just hear your story. So, And here we are. So from shy little skittish girl all the way to uh, Taekwondo uh, instructor, a dojo studio owner, um, and inspiring others to do the same. So basically what I'm saying is thank you and uh, glad uh, you're on here. Thank you. No, I mean, that's one of my goals is to be able to, you know, like show that I, what I was able to get to. Um, just because it wasn't like me at all, like I'm saying. So now, you know, basically, if I was able to do it, I feel like anyone can accomplish any goal that they have for themselves. That's something that I love talking about and just want to make sure that I pass on. Um, that way I can kind of give back in some way. <laughs> so what what does it take to develop as a Taekwondo athlete, a practitioner, someone? Um, I guess we can go the general population, uh, mm-hmm. trying to, like myself, going into uh, Taekwondo studio and then learning uh, the ropes, learning to be a, this Taekwondo practitioner and athlete. And then I guess, I mean, you don't necessarily have to be young to become an athlete or become, and what I mean by athlete, because for me, I think anybody is active as an athlete, but what I mean in Taekwondo is someone that actually competes. So a competitive Taekwondo practitioner, uh, in general, what does it take to become a Taekwondo practitioner? So, yeah, like kind of you're saying, there's like that difference, someone who just wants to do it for fun and mm-hmm. so many benefits that come out of it. And then someone who wants to take it to the next level and actually yeah, be a competitive athlete. So I think in general, the first thing you have to do is kind of inspire an interest. And that's why, you know, like one of one of the first classes, you know, you always want to make it fun. You want to make it engaging. You want them to kind of get interested and get excited so that they kind of are more open to seeing the things that martial arts has to learn. And everyone usually um you know everyone usually has the things that they like more whether they like board breaking more or they like sparring or they like forms it's cool because taekwondo has so many different routes that you can take um actually all martial arts do they have so many martial or so many different things that you can like uh, for all kinds of personalities so i think 
that's the first thing is getting someone to kind of figure out what they like, develop an interest, because once they have an interest, they're going to start setting some goals for themselves, whether that's getting to, you know, getting to black belt, learning a specific kick. Once you get those goals, then all of a sudden they have a pathway of things they want to reach of different challenges to kind of grow through and everyone loves moving forward. They love bettering themselves. So I think that's kind of the next step. Uh, is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, a lot of times, uh, I think a lot of people that walks into a studio has some type of inspiration getting them to the door, right? Uh-huh. Whether if it's watching the latest Karate Kid movie or watching uh, Bruce Lee videos on uh, YouTube or watching like videos on like yourself on YouTube or uh, Instagram or whatever, or maybe they've been bullied and they got to a point where they're like, yeah. hey, like this is enough and I want to start getting into this. But it's different. It's a different story of you approaching the door, knocking and going in and staying there than just, okay, this looks cool, but I'm a little scared. Kind of like my fiance. She went in. She's like, oh, okay, this is all right. This is not for me, right? But yeah, it's, it's more so finding, like, like you mentioned, finding your interests, right? Finding your interests, uh-huh. uh, which might be in that particular martial arts uh, or maybe it might be in another form. But yeah, I think, like you mentioned, that that interest is super important. And then working on goals uh, and milestones is super important. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's why the belt system works so well is because you can actually see the changes like, oh, I just got to my next belt. Then you actually feel good about attaining like a little goal on the way to the big goal of becoming a black belt. And a lot of people would say uh, like those those belts are and I used to say that way long ago, uh, like belts, like, you know, it shouldn't be about the belts. But as I started um, practicing more, right, and I seen the people around me, and even myself, right, you get excited for the next belt. Yeah. Um, for some people, they need that. You know, they need that external motivation, kind of like something to work towards. Um, for me, I, I almost have to do the opposite because then I tend to look forward to that way too much rather than enjoying, hey, I really want to uh, – really internalize these forms, really internalize this culture rather than just looking for the next belt or the next stripe. But like you mentioned, like you mentioned, uh, those belts help people stay inspired and stay motivated in a sense. And that's and not to say that's uh, that's a hindrance or a bad thing because everybody needs a motivation or some type of right. something to work towards. Um, so I think the belts do a really good job with that, especially with, with uh, the young ones. Oh, yeah. Oh, all little kids. They love it. They're always looking forward. They know the belt colors. They know what they're getting next. It works really well for little kids. And and to see those little guys go at it. I mean, again, you see them come in and be the most uncoordinated person oh. or 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 be the most undisciplined. You see, you get those two. And then after a while, you see this like evolution happen where they start to get their kicks and they start to get their like mobility and their skills. Um, but also too, to that other, uh, little guy, little girl, uh, that didn't want to listen or didn't want to listen to ins- uh, instructions or like keeping their eyes down all of a sudden they're like, uh, attention, right. Or paro, and everybody's like, Whoop! and they're yeah, like looking they at the master person. <laughs> yeah. They come a different person, which is super. And a lot of parents bring their kids just for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's what they want them to learn. You know, like, yeah, it's great that they're going to go learn how to kick and punch. But really what they want is, you know, having their child become better in every other sense, like with their character, become a better person. So I think that's what keeps them in the martial arts. And again, once you get into the door, what do you find uh, helps 
that person or that practitioner, that athlete really internalize what you're trying to teach them? I mean, like you said, you have to make sure that you find a good teacher that can kind of connect with that student the most. Um, everyone just has like a teacher that they connect with the most and they they kind of learn better with them, I think. So having a good connection with your instructor so they can know how to work with you and really like help you see help you see like I talked about with goals so kind of help you see the different things that you can do to improve yourself and really just try and make it a personal journey for yourself yeah absolutely connection is super important especially when it comes to uh a martial art again I call it the art of discipline I actually just did a post uh yesterday because uh-huh. what I started realizing is yeah it's an art in the sense of you start to learn uh, these new techniques and everybody's different and there's individuality in each. But what you start to see is that discipline is probably, it rises up, right? I see that floating more and I see that kind of uh, being more of a challenge. But when you have that connection with an instructor or master or dojo, or even with your peers, right? You yeah. start to now, uh, you start to build an accountability where it's not just for yourself, but it's for that person who's teaching you, but also to the, to the, to the person to the left and to the right of you. Uh, who are also putting the time to to better themselves. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, if they make friends, that's why it's so important to make friends and create a little community because they truly become a family. And lots of the times you'll see that they end up testing for their black belt at the same time and they go through this whole journey with someone else. That just makes it so much cooler for them. And it helps you, you know, like stay in it. Because, yeah, like you said, no one's going to want to quit when you're like, oh, shoot, all my other friends are going out there and getting all their goals. Um, You know, it's kind of inspiring to do that along with people as well. Right. When you get the question, like, hey, where were you uh, last Friday? Um, <laughs> uh, what do you mean? I didn't see you last Friday. Where were you? Or the, the uh, my instructor would tell me all the time, you're like, oh, so you had a lot of work? Huh? You had a lot of work? You weren't here last time? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, I couldn't come in. He's like, okay, okay. Just to kind of keep me on my toes, you know? And it's important, those little details. Yeah, and I think that goes into like everything because even like when you do become a competitive athlete, you have teammates, even though they don't train with you all the time, you know, like when you make it on the US team, you have other teammates that are like, hey, like, are you going to this tournament? And you're like, yeah, you know, like I got to stay in it. Or like, how's your training going? I think that sense of community and friendship, it's always there no matter what the goal is. So we talked about uh, going into your first class, which is super important, but um, I think making it as the studio itself, making it fun, at least getting them more interactive rather than just going, uh, you know, all into it as far as showing them really like the discipline side earlier on, just kind of making fun, kind of having them ask questions, uh, building goals right off the bat. Obviously, the belt system helps a lot to have that um to give that person something to work on right those milestones right but obviously the bigger picture is the discipline and is the character and more importantly that camaraderie that community that you get to build will not only and that connection you get to build with not only your instructor but uh your peers your your fellow practitioner your fellow 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 athletes um which again which is a big part of you staying motivated right air quotations because motivation what really is motivation? Well, I, that's actually something that I did on a video um, a couple of months ago. It's just like the difference between motivation and discipline because everyone's like, how do I stay motivated? And I'm just like, well, you know, like you have to keep creating that motivation. But in all honesty, you also just have to be disciplined and do the things even when you don't feel motivated. You know, you have to be disciplined enough to either find something that does motivate you to do whatever task that you have to do, or you just have to go do it anyway. Because if you want a long-term goal, you're not always going to feel like doing it. So I think 
yeah, it's, it's a good balance of motivation and discipline. So what about this person that has been training for a while, right? And they're like, you know what? I'm really liking this and I want to take it to that next level. I want to compete in my first uh, competition. What do you have? What do you have for them? First competitions. I mean, that's, yeah, that's kind of fun. It's funny because we have a competition team. So right off the bat, I'm thinking, you know, like a kid that wants to sign up for the state tournament, his first tournament. And it's funny because actually right now as well, we have one of our students that I've known since she's like four years old. Um, she like she started doing tournaments when she was super young. And then all of a sudden this weekend, she's going to be competing at the world championships for the first time ever. And now she's 14. So it's funny to see that whole entire process from, yeah, first tournament to the huge goal that you can accomplish. So I'd say for someone who wants to start competing is making sure that uh, working on their mindset a lot because what you don't want to happen is having them go train compete at a tournament them lose and them never like having a bad experience and them never wanting to return again or end up quitting because they have such a bad experience so I think really building that mindset of hey you're going to go to this tournament you're going to do your absolute best you're going to train and prepare your absolute best but you're also going to you know like be ready to make this a uh, long-term goal you're not going to just go and expect to win a gold medal and if you don't you quit you're going to you know like have other goals of like how you want your performance to be rather than just the medal that you want to get so, so build, building that mindset earlier on right it's not just waiting to that first competition but it should be once they make that i'm assuming once they make that uh that the that decision of saying hey i want to compete usually it's like a few months out hopefully yeah. uh or you're like hey i want to compete in this uh competition in december so starting now let's say august um you now start to build that mindset where you start to train because training recreationally, it's not the same when you train for competition. No, it's right? not at all. So yeah, they have to do extra trainings, whether they come to like train in a different team or a different time uh, or with like specific people that are going to also be competing at that tournament. So yeah, they have to get really mentally prepped that, hey, this is something that I'm going to do outside of what I'm normally doing because if I want these kind of better results, if I want to put myself in a tournament setting, I have to put the time in to prepare myself properly. So yeah, usually they'll do different trainings and that's a lot of just like physical training, mental training, making sure that they really understand what they're getting themselves into so that they have a good experience. And then you mentioned uh, being, you mentioned uh, like if you go in and you do your best and you lose, that's okay. But now you're working towards your, basically the long-term goal is not just this one event, right? It's to do multiple events or to continue to be your the best athlete you can be. And I think what resonated from there was expectation, right? Getting yeah. them to understand what their expectations like, okay, you're at this level right now. Uh, the people you're going to competing at are going to be at this level. Uh, they might be, you know, it's going to be your first uh, competition. You're going to be a little nervous. That's completely okay. Uh, you know, don't worry necessarily about the outcome, but you're going to learn a lot about this and we're going to take it over to the next competition. Exactly. I think it's all about experience and then having um, them develop some performance based goals. So what they want to be, because you don't always get to, you know, like decide the outcome of mm -hmm. a tournament. Like you said, you know, there might be other people in their division that have done tournaments forever. So they don't really get to, you know, control the outcome of what medal they get, but really focusing on how they want to perform. Like, you know, whether it's focusing on having them be more assertive or aggressive if they're sparring or getting high kicks for their poomsay or, you know, good stances. So really focusing on the things that they can control to kind of have an effect of that outcome. And I think that's, 
that's a difference because then otherwise you get yeah people who go to a tournament have a bad experience and they quit and then that ends up being bad because martial arts isn't in their life so I think that's something that I like to focus on is really the things that they can control about what they do and how they perform and what would you say to the parents of uh these practitioners like um because again I would only I would only assume uh like again I see parents all the time uh within our practice and within our training sessions, what would you say as far as keeping their uh, athletes, their practitioners, their kids, maybe even their husbands or, 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 uh, or should I say husbands and wives, uh, just keeping them motivated, right? How would you interact? How would you, as a parent would you, or as a instructor, as a, as a, an athlete, right? Uh, what would you tell, or how, what do you, what do you tell now to the parents to kind of keep them, uh, in the in the journey right with the with those uh, athletes and practitioners yeah i mean it's hard it's hard on parents seriously because parents are the ones that are you know bringing the kids putting in the time putting in the money and everything and one thing that we always emphasize is if you have a kid that's really wanting to compete like it all depends on the parent support system as well the family uh-huh. support because they can have like a real impact on how the child feels about it and i know thinking back through my own career like i think my parents all the time because if they hadn't, like, they should have easily given up on me when, when I was a kid, you know, like, I'd go to tournaments, and I'd lose all the time. And I have no idea why, but they kept on supporting me. And, you know, eventually, I got to my goals. But, you know, parents have such a huge, huge impact. And so I think the parents job is honestly, let the coach do it, do their thing with, you know, like actual being, you know, a good athlete and everything. Don't try and coach your own kid, try, and, you know, be a support to them. And, you know, when there are hard times, when they don't want to go to training sessions, when they lose, when they tell you like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to quit. The parents are going to be the ones that, you know, like can see the long term benefits and know that their child is just feeling bad for a second, not for the actual long term thing. So they have to be tough. They have to, you know, like really be their rock and always just be there for support, support, support. That's their job. So yeah, I mean, it's hard being a parent, even just like, you know, watching my own mom, like she hated watching my fights because she was like, oh my gosh, like maybe you shouldn't do this anymore. You're going to get hurt. But she was also my number one fan and supporter to, you know, like help me get to everything I wanted to do. So no, parents have a hard job, so they really have to be up for it. Yeah, I mean, it just as, and I think we we see the motivation side all the time, but I think parents can be uh, a big factor of unmotivating a child, right? Oh, a lot yeah. of times where either, again, there's parents that are really super involved and other parents are not necessarily involved. And sometimes uh, parents can be like, oh, why are you doing that? Or, oh, okay, you lost a match or, okay, you didn't get that belt or you didn't uh, complete everything that you wanted to. It's okay, whatever. When, again, it's just having that, just meeting the, the, the athlete, meeting the, the practitioner, whoever it is. It can be it can be your son, it can be your daughter, it can be your, your wife, it can be your husband, it can be your cousin, whatever. But yeah. I think uh, meeting that person halfway and, show, and, and showing some interest, whether you like what they do or not, or you have, uh, or you agree in any sense of what they want to do. But just listening to them, I think, plays a big role on uh, just keeping that person or giving that person some support, you know? Yeah, you can really direct what their mindset is. And I think that's, yeah, that's something that they really have to realize, especially like, you know, after losing a tournament, the athlete themselves is already so hard on themselves for losing. Mm -hmm. 
thing. But then having that outside factor of a parent being upset or being disappointed, that makes it so much harder. Not to say that we shouldn't be able to deal with it, but also there are better ways of, you know, like helping someone through that and realizing like, yeah, just basically being able to help them rather than harming them. So, I mean, there are going to be struggles in any sport, but definitely in, in, in martial arts, there's, there's this mental aspect of it, right? What's, right. What are a couple of things that you tend to uh, tell people or instruct uh, your students on helping them really strengthen their mental, mental side, you know, that mindset set of uh, not just preparing and all that stuff, but just in the general, the journey of uh, Taekwondo and martial arts? Yeah, I mean, you'd really have to develop someone's character to not give up when approached with a challenge. So you can do that a whole bunch of different ways. I mean, you do that already through, you know, like the belt system, like we talked about, through, Mm -hmm. you know, learning new kicks, learning new forms, everything like that. But then going into being an athlete, it's just like taking it to a whole new level because, yeah, you have extra commitment that you're putting into it. So you really have to focus on building someone's mindset And you have to understand what the best way of them learning that is. Because as I've worked with different athletes, people respond in all different kinds of ways. I know how I responded best was, you know, like specifically after I took a loss, I hated being told like, oh, it's okay. I, Hmm. what I wanted to do is, you know, like go back, look at the fight, see where I made mistakes, understand and understand that there's something that I can do or change to really make a difference for next time. Um, so you really have to find out what works better for other people because other people will respond better to encouragement to, you know, like having or being motivated with like a pep talk or, you know, like everyone kind of works together in different ways. So really understanding how to motivate someone, how to help them develop a strong mindset so that they're ready to take on new challenges. Perfect. Loved it. Um, so let's talk about your YouTube channel, right? And we talked about, um, right, this journey of a Taekwondo athlete and practitioner and some of the struggles that can come along with it. Um, what are these these common struggles, not just the mental side, but the actual physical and coordination side that you tend to see with some uh, students and, and, and uh, again, highlights of some of your YouTube content that you uh, produce basically very frequently? Yeah, so what I did was YouTube actually came, I didn't mean to be on YouTube. I didn't mean to have to be involved in social media at all. Um, So remember how I said that when I was like a teenager, when I was a kid, I didn't want to be involved with martial arts at all. Mm -hmm. When I got to the college point, I thought about dropping it completely. And then that's kind of when I realized like, hey, no, what I'm actually wanting to do is you know, quit because I'm so scared of this thing that I want to do. I really want to do it. I really want to compete, but I've been just so scared. So the first thing that happened was I decided to just, you know, say, hey, I'm going to drop all my fears. I'm going to face them. I'm going to walk right into them and see what happens. And that's when I was 19 and I ended up starting to train and I started competing. I made it on the U.S. Collegiate National Team for my first time. And like, it took a lot of work. I'm kind of saying it as, you know, like it was easy, like to just do it from one day to the next. But it took like a couple years of me really, you know, like sitting down and focusing and training. And I did that for about six years total. Um, Towards the end of my competitive career, more recently, I I had an injury that really kind of shook up everything that I was doing. I was ranked really well. I was, you know, like competing internationally, like once a month, you know, always flying around the world. And all of a sudden, I tear two ligaments in my ankle. 
that kind of threw everything off. That's the first year that I didn't win collegiate nationals and I lost at team trials. It got to be so bad that I just couldn't even stand in the ring anymore. And, you know, like I, I had to get surgery. So I got surgery and I knew that came with like a six month rehab process. Mm-hmm. And I was in physical therapy all the time and I couldn't be out on the mats training with my team. And honestly, like that was really hard for me mentally because I couldn't do the thing that I love that helped me feel good. So I kind of needed a different outlet. And that's when I started getting into social media. I had had an Instagram for, you know, like a while and I would always post when I went to competitions all over the world just to kind of show people what I was doing back home since they couldn't be there with me. So I took and I, I made a friend that from my Instagram account that kind of told me about YouTube because he had a YouTube channel and he was uh, traveling over from the East Coast over to L.A. to pursue his dream of being like a stunt uh, actor. Okay. As he was doing that, he passed through Utah and he told me like, hey, do you want to be on one of my YouTube videos? And I was just like, sure, like, you know, like, why not? (laughs) So he came by and we filmed a YouTube video. And that's when I started talking to him about like, hey, like, what's the YouTube world like? I see people making videos. I've uploaded some, but not really with the intention of them being viewed on YouTube. More like I just wanted to upload a video so that I could send it to someone because I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. And um, So that's kind of what opened my world up to YouTube. And um, when I had my ankle surgery and I couldn't do anything, that's when I decided to really start focusing on creating videos. So like I said, all these different events end up leading to something else because I wouldn't be this involved in YouTube had I not had this injury, although it really had a negative impact on my athletic career and it held me back for a while while I, you know, while I had the rehab process, it also opened up a whole new path to this whole YouTube career. And now I make videos. What I really like about being on YouTube is the sense of being able to teach anyone in the world something that I have learned. Because, I mean, there's so many martial arts schools, but they don't always offer everything that someone wants to learn. And I hate the thought of somebody quitting just because they don't have a new challenge. So I like being able to teach, you know, like on my YouTube channel, I'll teach how to get higher kicks, how to, I mean, different sparring drills. I'll teach nunchucks. I'll teach weapons. I'll just basically teach anything that I've learned um, that I want to like share with other people just to kind of give them the opportunity to find it and to learn something new. So that's, that's a little bit about my YouTube channel. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's a journey within itself, right? And you mentioned how you were able to get there. It wasn't... It was by accident, but not really by accident, because right. I believe that everything happens for a reason, right? Of course. But, I mean, you had these events that kind of kind of rolled onto uh, onto another, and then kind of led you to where you're at here. And then you started making these videos that do. So, do people ask you uh, like for certain videos, or do you see stuff in the in your studio? You're like, okay, I want to talk more about this, or you know, I've been seeing yeah. a lot of this. So honestly, it's both. Um, I would say, I I mean, I do read through the comments all the time and I see what people want to hear about most, what they want to learn about most, because I want to, you know, take that into consideration when creating a video. I want to really be able to help people. But then also at the same time, yeah, yeah, I'll see different things that are happening in my martial arts studio, things that people are struggling with. And that gives me ideas. And I think um, there is, so I do a lot of like tutorials and tips, but then something that I've started doing more recently too, is just kind of sharing different athlete stories um, mm-hmm. just because I want people to be able to relate to someone else too. 
So whether that's like me sharing my stories of my journey or sharing stories of like one of my students, because a lot of the times people will be struggling and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll not be sure whether they can do something or not. They'll be doubting themselves or they'll just be going through some kind of challenge and having them see that someone else can relate and be like them and accomplish something that's really helpful. So that's something that I've gotten started with as well as just sharing different stories from martial artists. What are the most common things that uh, people ask you to upload as far as like drills or certain techniques? What are the most um, common ones? Yeah, so I think the most common ones is number one, how to kick higher. Everyone always wants higher kicks. So I think that's the number one. Um, the other ones are sparring sparring training. So whether it's like agility drills or being able to kick faster, anything related to sparring is something that there's a huge like desire for that I always get requests for. And then the last one is kind of like we also talked about motivation. I mean, a lot of people, it's kind of funny that they're out there asking, like, how do I stay motivated? I don't want to quit because it's true. Like they don't want to quit and they're looking for something to kind of re-inspire them. So that's another big one is how do I stay motivated? And by motivation, you mean like how to, we, we've talked plenty of this, but it's more so uh, that they're getting bored with what they're doing right now and they were looking for something a little more exciting or something more challenging. Yeah, so they are getting bored, but they know that they like Taekwondo or they like martial arts. They've liked it in the past, but now they think like either they think they're not good enough or they're getting distracted and they don't they don't want to quit, but they feel like, you know, for some reason they should leave. And they're asking like, how do I stay motivated? I don't want to be bored. What do I do? So what are your most common tips to be able to kick higher? Kick higher. There's a lot of different drills. I mean, obviously everyone thinks of flexibility. So mm -hmm. I do a lot of stretching tutorials, but what a lot of people miss is being able to um, like have strength in their flexibility. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of drills with like, you know, holding your leg up, moving it around, being able to hold it in high positions. Um, and then just like, I don't know, just lots of different drills, but that's yeah. something that a lot of people miss. They just want to stretch and stretch and stretch, or they can do the splits, but they can't have a high kick. So I really talk about like dynamic flexibility versus fl uh, static flexibility. And I mean, dynamic versus um, static stretching. So showing mm -hmm. the different ways to stretch, when you should stretch and what kind of drills to do too. Yeah, super important. I mean, we, we hear, so I hear my patients all the time. I hear, oh, can you stretch me? I'm like, sure, I can stretch you, but I can teach you how to become stronger in those positions, which is even more important. Because most exactly. people, when they, when they think about moving better or being uh, performing better, they think, oh, I should stretch more. Sure. But the idea is, yeah, if you can, you, it's okay for you to push your leg all the way up there. But if you can't get it up there actively or you need to kick something up there, uh, if we're talking about Taekwondo, doesn't really help. Now, okay. if you are not improving your strength in those range of motions, what would I call more of a, that dynamic mobility, um, that's what you want. But again, exactly. most people don't necessarily know that. So, you know, videos like yourself and or uh, content creators like yourself and the videos that you create really help um, people understand that. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I like it when I can actually help people with that. And I've gotten a lot of really good feedback from people wanting to do the drills. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's going well. And I'm glad that, the, you know, like it's actually helping people. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of people when they th- when they're in pain, they do a lot of uh, this content stuff and uh, social media, little tips and health fitness stuff. Um, they tend to ask me, "Oh, I have pain with this. What can I do?" First of all, it's very hard to figure out why you're having pain through social media, but usually this is what happens. And a lot of times, is that mobility, is that movement restriction, um, and, and how to get there appropriately. And mobility and strengthening is a big component. Um, sparring. All right. So what, what are some of the things that you uh, have shown people as far as with agility and being able to kick faster? What are a couple of things they can do? So a lot of people want sparring. I think, I mean, I don't know what they're looking for specifically. They just want to get better at sparring. So a lot of the times it will be focusing on speed. And I think, you know, like a lot of martial arts schools, they're great. They have, you know, like their sparring classes, but there's people in there that want to kind of take it to the next level to compete. And so they don't really find that in their school. And I mean, I can't blame the school owners. Like it's hard to have a competitive team. So I think that's kind of what they're looking for is just different ways of improving themselves. And once they see that I've, you know, like I've competed in sparring, that's kind of where their request comes from. So I would say what I do is I break down different drills for that they can do. I mean, it's hard. It's hard when I can't really like train them myself to really see what they're doing wrong or anything. Mm -hmm. So I try and make them very general to like, if you want to get faster, here's like five drills that you can do to implement in your training. And it's cool because a lot of the times I'll find that they, you know, like they really do implement it into their training, like in their class. And, you Mm -hmm. know, like instructors are very like open to that. So I think that's really cool. Um, Lots of like, agility drills different paddle drills um going through like sparring tactics so you know like what to do if someone kicks uh like a cut kick towards you what are some options to defend against that different ways of attacking so just breaking down sparring in all different ways do you get a lot of instructors that uh watch your videos and ask you for recommendations yeah i think that's the coolest thing and like it's my favorite thing because i always want instructors to keep learning um i'm always the kind of instructor that you know like i know that i don't know everything in the world i've learned a Mm -hmm. lot but there's still so much i don't know so i always have like this always learning mentality and so i love that when instructors you know like also look for new ways of learning too just being open to different techniques different drills i think that's huge that's awesome yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's super important as a practitioner because uh, once you're a practitioner, you're always a practitioner, whether you're an instructor or not. Is yeah. to always have that, you know, that um, open mind, right? To be able to yeah. be a student of the game, student of life at all moments. The, the the moment that you think you know everything, that's when you really stop growing. You stop uh, really improving and progressing forward. So the fact that instructors still look for your help is awesome. Um, and again, still sharing ideas, and I'm sure you share ideas uh, or learn from other YouTubers and other videos, and even from your students. I think as instructors, you learn so much from uh, from teaching. Exactly. So talk to us about managing your own dojo, and the fact that you have two is incredibly insane. So. <laughs> yeah, um, so I manage my studio with my two sisters. So my parents are the ones that started it back in Peru. But now they kind of stepped back a little bit more and just kind of handed it over to me and my two older sisters. So we have once we have two studios, they're about 20 minutes away from each other. Um, and I think we have about 350 students combined. I don't wow. know, that's a good that's a guess. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, so we have classes for, you know, like beginner students. We have them as young as like two year olds. And that's like our tiniest class. They get to do it with their mom and dad, not really learning, you know, like specific kicks and punches, but more learning just like how to move, how to listen, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So that's like the two to three year olds and then all the way up to adults. So, I mean, managing a studio has been, it's really been a challenge, of course, mm-hmm. especially I was competing because so often I'd have to leave the country and my sister my older sister was my coach and she'd have to leave it with me so it took a lot of building a really good team back at home a team of instructors a team of staff to really you know be able to carry it through when I was focusing on my competitive goals and um, managing a school like I've done it I mean, pretty much like since I was 12 is when I started assisting in classes. And it's always just been a part of me to have, you know, like that community of people just like around. So I don't I mean, there's a lot I can say about it. Like I've loved teaching, getting to see like kids grow up in it. I've loved managing it, you know, like directing, you know, like the the sides of like how to get new students, how to keep students interested in training, uh, different programs that we wanted to offer, different, like if we wanted to go out and reach schools and, you know, like teach at schools, there's there's so much that go into it. So you tell me, what do you want to hear? Great question. Um, first one would be is creating a team, right? Like you mentioned, the more, one of the most important things I think of any entity, especially a school, is to have people around you that can support um, your mission. So, right. I mean... What was one of the best ways for you to find those instructors or, or maybe train them um, to teach your style, teach your approach, and help them grow as instructors? Right. So I think the best thing or the biggest thing is I'd always prefer to teach an instructor. So start with a student and then eventually train them to be an instructor because they've known the system, they've lived through it, and they really just know the school. They grew up in it. So that's the number one place that I think is best to find instructors. Um, Other than that, I mean, there's always martial arts instructors, everyone's moving all the time, and really like being able to take someone that's already gotten their black belt and then teaching them how our school works. I think that's awesome as well. We have a lot of instructors that have done that. And I think the mindset uh, of building a team comes from something that somebody once said to me in a martial arts seminar and always and that's always to want to teach your instructors to be a better instructor than yourself. Like, mm-hmm. I want my instructor that's on the mat to be a lot better than I am at teaching, um, whether that's, you know, like giving them the right trainings, sending them to like seminars to learn how to be better instructors, really just providing the tools and helping them have that desire to become better. Because, I mean, they already love the sport. They love Taekwondo. They love the martial arts uh, and they have an interest in helping pass it on to others. So just giving them the proper tools and resources to achieve that. What about when it comes to actually, I guess you say, teaching? Is being a good practitioner the same thing as being a good teacher? And does it work both ways? I don't think it, yeah, I don't think it has a direct correlation just because I think what's funny is, you know, like I'll teach my students to do all kinds of like tricks that I can't ever do, but that doesn't mean that I can't, you know, like teach them how to do it. So um, I think, yeah, that's, that's the number one thing is like, you don't have to be able to do something to be able to teach it as long as you're good at teaching it and you understand it and you've like done your research, done your homework. So like, I can't do a backflip, but I can teach someone else to do a backflip. So I think that's really funny. 
Um, but then also just because you're good at doing something, like if you're a great sparring athlete, that does not mean that you're a great sparring coach or teacher. Mm -hmm. So either way, it's like, you might know the material, but you have to learn how to actually be able to, you know, like break it down and teach someone else how to do it. And not even just like technically do it, but also like get them excited to do it and, yeah, there's just a lot that comes into teaching. You have to really know how to work with people, how to get them motivated. And, and there's just like, you have to learn how to be a teacher. Who's the perfect student? And if there is one. A perfect student? I don't know. I call all of my students my favorite students at, at a different point. <laughs> so they're always trying to be like my favorites by doing something like outdoing, you know, themselves. So it's funny because, um, yeah, like, you know, a lot of the times the perfect student will be the one who is the most obedient and will be listening while the rest of the class is, you know, like a bit distracted or, you know, a little chaotic. Or a lot of the times the perfect student will be the one who's always volunteering, wanting to be, you know, number one, uh, wanting to, you know, just help. Or other times it'll be the student that, you know, like goes out and wants to try whatever you want to try, you know, like even if it's like a jump sidekick over like, you know, like five feet of bags or something. Um, it really, yeah, it really depends. Like, and it, it kind of all works with different people's strengths. Like you'll also have like a perfect student in forms and then they will suck at sparring, for example. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it really depends and it plays to people's strengths as to what the definition of a perfect student is. I think though that most instructors will agree it's not based off of physical ability, but it's based off of someone's attitude. Yeah, their character, like we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh -huh. So when someone's trying to pick a studio or JoJo or place to train at, what are some things that you recommend for them to uh, look out for? Uh, yeah, what are some things that they should be aware of when trying to choose their place to either start or if they're moving, you know, how do you find right. space where you can now uh, settle down and, and really, you know, start training? Yeah. So for any of our students that kind of move out of state, we always look for and we always give them recommendations of schools that we know. And then whenever uh, people come into our school, what we want to do is make sure that they come try a class. If they've had experience before, we want to make sure that it's kind of what they're looking for. We don't want to have someone in the program that doesn't want to be in the program, you know, we rather them like, you know, like experiment going to try out different schools, and to see if ours is a good fit or a good match for them. So if someone's, you know, like wanting to find a martial arts school randomly, the things that I would say to look out for is number one, make sure that you try out a class, get to know the instructors, see what their um, like mentality and lifestyle is. And basically, you know, just like, you'll have a good feeling if a martial arts school is right or not for you. Um, with that being said, I do have a couple of things I'd like to give. Um, the first one is to to you. Uh, I want to thank you very much, Amory, for giving me the time uh, for being on the podcast to share your story, uh, your Taekwondo story, your martial arts story, your story in general of how you share and inspire a uh, story or how do you share information and content, how you inspire people to continue on this martial arts journey and, you know, really try to become their best selves. So I really thank you for giving the time uh, and jumping on this podcast. No problem. The second thank you goes to uh, the listeners. Thank you, listeners. You could have been talking or should I say you could have been doing anything in this moment. You can have been taking a nap. 
You can have been watching a Netflix movie. You could have been going down a river infested with alligators. You could have been doing anything, but you decided to listen to this episode. Uh, so I thank you. Thank you very, very much uh, for taking the time and, and, you know, being able to have this platform to share these uh, wonderful guests, wonderful ideas and experiences and philosophies, philosophies and approaches. So thank you very much. The last thank you. The last thank you goes to uh, our clients, our students, our patients. Uh, thank you for allowing us to do what we do, to share our passion, uh, to do what we like to do and what we love to do day in and day out, uh, and to you know to value um, our skills and to value what we have to offer. Because uh, again, we can you know have all this experience and have all this knowledge, but if there's no one to share it with, then it really it's really lost information. So thank you very much for giving us the opportunity. Thank you uh, for letting us be us and letting us do what we do. So thank you very much. So with that being said, this is Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, signing out. Hey there, Andy Fortuna here, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. I love the opportunity to connect and share information with passionate people just like you, and would love the opportunity to do the same for others. So please take the time right now to leave a five-star review and help spread the word about this podcast. Thank you so much for your support, and see you on the next episode. Hold up.